Hello, Saubona, how's it? Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Everyday Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Just a heads up on that. If you have a Bible, let's go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 30, and verse 1 to 8. I'm going to be talking this morning about prosperity of soul. Prosperity of soul. Look at somebody and say, How's your soul? How's your soul? All right, are we there? Are we together? Father, as we come to your word this morning, we believe that your word is alive. It's full of power, it's active, it's operative. It's energizing. It is effective. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it's able to penetrate our hearts, give us revelation, feed us, encourage us, build us up. And our expectation is in the power of your word this morning to do, Father God, what you wanted to do in our lives. So we commit this moment into your hands, Father God. I don't maybe have all the words to say, Dad, and I ask that you would come fill my mouth with your words, Dad, so that this would be life to us this morning, that this would be freedom and revelation. And Lord, may signs and wonders follow the preaching of your word, and may heaven manifest in this room today, Father God. We're expecting to hear from you, Lord, not from man, not from any system or whatever, Lord. We want to hear from you, God, this morning. So heaven, come. Heaven come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here in this place as it is in heaven, we pray. Amen. So 1 Samuel 30, you might know the story, but let's read it anyway. It says, now it happened when David and his men came home to Ziklag on the third day. That's where he lived. They found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire, and they had taken captive the woman and all who were there, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off to be used as slaves, and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the town, it was burned, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Can you imagine the scene? Men, can you imagine coming home and finding your home burnt and kids and wife all taken? I mean, what what are you going to do? Then David and all the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they were too exhausted to weep any longer. I mean, have you ever been in that place before where you're crying and you're crying and there's just, you cannot cry anymore. Um, Now, David's two wives had been captured, Ahinamam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Further, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all of them were embittered, each man for his sons and daughters. So I want you to just try to get in the psychology of this moment. This is a, this is a devastating, devastating thing that's happened. They've come back from war, and they're thinking they're coming back to, you know, a nice stew on the stove, you know, just something, you know, warm home. They've been, they've been weary. They've been traveling, and they're coming back to something. Their homes burnt. Their wives taken. Everything destroyed. They, they wept bitterly until they couldn't weep anymore, and they were so angry in their hearts, they, they even wanted to stone David, okay? Then it carries on, verse 6, okay? And it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Can you look at somebody and say, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Desperate, dying circumstance, crazy stuff happening, massive attack on his life. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. People wanting to stone him, kill him because they feel like he's responsible for it. Everyone against him, nobody else to turn to. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiata the priest, Ahimelech sang, please bring me the ephod. That just sounds good. Bring me the ephod. Can you say that this morning? Bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. <laughs> you can almost see like the David's getting into gear here. Bring me the ephod. So Abiata brought him the ephod, 
And David inquired of the Lord. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then what did David do? He inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band of raiders? Will I overtake them? And he answered him, and he, the Lord, answered him, Pursue, for you will certainly overtake them, and you will certainly rescue the captives. And then we'll just pause it over there. But the story goes on that David then goes with some of his men, and they find the guys, those guys, who thought they could just come in and destroy his home. And they get hold of those guys and they sort them out in, in Old Testament style. <laughs> you know, not a head left on a body. You know, it was, it was hardcore. They sorted them out. But not only that, when they sort them out, they, they got so much plunder. They got everything back. Everything back that was theirs, their wives, their kids, their goods, their, I don't know, whatever else that was taken from them. They got everything back and they got a whole lot more and they came back richer than what they were before. I don't know, when I read this story, one of the things that stands out to me is like, I kind of read this, I know God loves David, David was a man after God's own heart. I kind of think like David's out doing stuff, like God, why didn't you just protect the home? You know, why were, Lord, where were you? Anybody ever like, Lord, I was tithing. I was at Connect and then the car and then the, anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? You can't, Jesus, like where, you know, I was, and then, well, how did that happen, Lord? You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just kind of like, Jesus, where are you in this circumstance? But David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. And David heard the Lord. And the Lord prospered David even more than what he was before. Which tells me, you know, there's there's a couple scriptures in the New Testament where it says this. It says that you'll never be tempted beyond what you can handle. And that word tempted means harassed, attacked, pursued, whatever. You'll never be tempted. You'll never be harassed. You'll never be attacked beyond what you can handle. At this moment, these guys did not feel like they could handle this. Like this was just too much. We've been away for so long. We're so tired. We've been in such big battle and it's been hectic. And now this, Jesus, I'm done. Anybody felt like that? I'm done. I don't think I can carry on anymore, Lord. This is, I want you to know you can handle that. God will never allow something to come your way, some sort of trial, some sort of test, some sort of storm that you will not be able to handle. You'll never be tempted beyond what you're going to do. And the word also goes on and says this, that he then turns all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. Look at somebody this morning and say, all things work together for the good. For those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. All things work together For the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. If you love the Lord and you call to His purposes like David was, you can be sure that no matter what attack comes your way, no matter how difficult it might seem, no matter how hectic it might seem, that God is going to turn that thing that the enemy meant for harm to the good. For your benefit, He will turn it around. He will make sure that it's a blessing in the end. Amen? But there's two keys in this passage which I don't want you to miss. Two keys to this turnaround. This is a turnaround story. How many of you love turnaround stories? I love turnaround stories. You think it's going like, ah, and then boom, we're back. You know, we're like, suddenly we're rolling in it. You know, like we were crashing and into that F&B loan. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know. Let's go out for dinner. <laughs> uh, and in fact, let's invite some friends too. You know what I mean? I love it when God turns things around. But there's two keys to this turnaround story, which I want to emphasize this morning. Two keys. Two very important things. Because we've got to look at David's life this morning, and we've got to see what he did. That's so significant. We read these two things now this morning. I, I highlighted them, but, but I want to just take them out of this passage and I want to put them in front of us and say, this is what we're going to eat this morning. This is what we're going to dive into. This is what we're going to look at this morning. This is what we're going to flesh out this morning so that we can also have these turnaround stories. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on. So there's two things here I want you to know. Firstly, David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
Number one, and then secondly, David inquired of the Lord. Those are the two keys to this turnaround story. What did David prioritize when everything was going wrong? I mean, just everything is going wrong here. I don't know if you've ever felt like everything is going wrong. He prioritized, number one, encouraging himself in the Lord. Firstly, and then inquiring of the Lord. And what I find amazing about this passage is one word that really stands out to me. It's the word himself. It's the word himself there. <laughs> you know, what, what, what I note is that he did this himself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. There was nobody else there to encourage him. There were only people there to kill him, stone him, speak bitterness about him, speak down about him, you know, ch challenge his leadership and, and come against him. And so David had to encourage himself in the Lord. He didn't have a connect group. There was no worship team, no podcast, no Bible app. No, there was nothing there. David, you know, Akeko Omuntu, there, okay? There's the, there's, <laughs> corner. <laughs> you know, there, there's not, there's no one there. No one's, no one, there's no connect group pulling him up saying, champ, you're going to get through this, buddy, you know? I know things are tough right now. Let me send you a scripture. There's, there's nothing, nothing there. David encourages himself in the Lord. David knew how to feed his soul. David knew how to get answers from God. David knew how to hear God for himself. For himself. And this is what I want to emphasize this morning, because what makes this even more amazing and even more remarkable is that this was Old Testament times. I mean, the, the, David wasn't living in the New Testament where we understand that we are filled with the Spirit, that we're all priests and kings before the Lord. David was in Old Testament times where you had some strict rules, you know, about, you know, in, in the Old Testament, you had to go through other people to get to God. That's how, that's how it worked, all right? So, it, I mean, in, in those... So David, you know, the story is going like this. It almost looks like a typical Old Testament story where, okay, David encourages himself in the Lord, and then he, then he says, Abiata calls for the priest. And then at that moment, typical Old Testament would be, Abiata, please inquire of the Lord and tell us what we should do. But he says, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. Which I want you to know is remarkable. It's crazy. It's like there's nothing else like this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what we see was there was the tribe of priests. Abiathar was part of them. They were the Levites, okay? So one out of the 12 tribes was the, the priesthood, the Levites. And the Levites were given the strict instructions to, to inquire of the Lord, to offer sacrifices, to bless the people. And they wore the ephod, all right? The ephod is kind of like an apron, okay? But like cooler, all right? Not like a cooking one, like a, just a, you know, it's like a, it's a thing that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It was like a, a priest's garment, okay? Kind of like, like a, maybe, maybe it would be intonile kala. Easy as that. Uh, I thought there was some greater name for it. It's kind of like bring me the kala, you know? <laughs> bring me the, bring me the whatever, you know? I don't know where, what like traditional Christianity you came from. So there's, their, their, their job as the priest was to do that. And David doesn't go through that. He puts the ephod on himself, which is crazy because David was part of the tribe of Judah. He wasn't a Levite. And when you look at the life of David, what you actually, when you go look at all his life, what you see in his life is that he actually did make offerings before the Lord and that he did bless people before the Lord. And that he then puts the ephod on, and he does do the inquiring of the Lord. So David, being a king, is acting like a priest in Old Testament times when the kings were kings and the priests were priests. And the kings didn't do what the priests do, and the priests didn't do what the kings do. There was a definite separation, but David is crossing over, and he's like, he's acting like 
a priest. And it's crazy because other kings in Israel at that time tried to do the similar things. Saul tried to do it and he got rebuked by it and he lost his kingship from it. King Uzziah tried to do some offerings and he got struck with leprosy. So here's this King David acting like a priest in Old Testament times. And I think we have to ask the question, well, how come? How is that possible? The answer to this question is like absolutely awesome. And it takes us down a little bit of a rabbit trail, but stay with me. Are you there? Genesis 14. I want, I want you to see this. Answer is found in Genesis 14. So can we read it together? Then, <laughs> now you're all going to get stuck on this name. Melchizedek, that's it, all right? All right, there it is up there. Okay, it says, let's read it together. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high possessor of heaven and earth. Melchizedek. What was Melchizedek's job? Tell me now. He was high priest. Was there anything else? He was king. He was king of Salem and he was high priest of the most high God. In fact, this is a very interesting character in the Bible, this Melchizedek. We've got no origin from him. We've got no, like further record of him at all. We only start hearing about him in the book of Hebrews later in the New Testament. It's like this, he just shows up after battle, uh, that Abraham's been to this battle, and he shows up in Abraham's life, and he blesses Abraham. He's the king of Salem. He's the high priest of the Most High God. He blesses Abraham, and Abraham even pays tithes to him. That was before the law, okay? So if you have any problem with tithing, Tithing happened way before even law came, all right? So he then pays, Abraham pays a title. And the question is, well, who's this guy who's a king and who's a priest? Melchizedek. The mystery of Melchizedek. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. A lot of people have said, well, this is probably Jesus. And the reason is because Melchizedek actually means king of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means. That's what the name means, king of righteousness. And they think that this is a theophany. Where You know, there's a couple times in the Old Testament when Jesus shows up, okay, as the angel of the Lord or the Lord or something. And you, it's a, called a theophany, all right, for the theologians this morning. It's when God actually shows up in the Old Testament in human form, kind of. And, and so this guy, Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. King of Salem, where, where Salem is peace, okay, and Salem became Jerusalem, all right, the same place, Jerusalem. So he's a king, he's a high priest, and he's the king of righteousness of the city of peace. It kind of sounds like Jesus, hey? kind of sounds like that could be the Lord. But when you go to Hebrews, and don't have to go there, but it actually says this when it's talking about Jesus. It says this about Jesus. It says, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, according to the order of Melchizedek. Right, so the, and then it carries on talking about how Jesus pretty much was of the same order as Melchizedek. Now, what's interesting about this, what makes this amazing, people, is that now we're seeing two priesthoods in the Old Testament. We're seeing the order of the Levites, but then we're also seeing the order of Melchizedek. And it's quite interesting that David, when you look at the life of David, David is, is kind of like a, a type of Jesus. He's, a, he's like a prelude to the Messiah, okay? And, um, and you know, he's called the, Jesus is called the son of David. So there's, there's, a, there's a tie between David's life and the Messiah, all right? There's like a, we can look at David's life and we can see a lot of Messiah qualities, okay? That, that, that we see in Jesus, all right? And, and, and so when you look at David, David captured Jerusalem and became the king of Jerusalem, okay? Kind of similar to Melchizedek, all right? Kind of the king of Melchizedek. And then when David becomes king, it's very interesting that David then goes and fetches the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it to Jerusalem. Which was very strange, and for this reason, are you still with me? 
a little bit of Old Testament this morning, that was really strange because Gibeon was where the ark was. That's where Moses' tent was. The Levites were in Gibeon. That's where the offerings and the sacrifices were being made in Gibeon. But David takes the ark, which is really the most important piece of the furniture of the whole thing, okay? He takes the ark, which is symbolically the presence of God, and he pitches a tent for it in Jerusalem, where he's king of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there's no boundaries as to who can go in the tent, It's like everybody can come and make offerings. And David, what he did was he set up in that tent 24-7 prayer, praise, and worship to God. He had 5,000 musicians, all right? Just, Just continual worship happening all the time in that tent. There was, that's where a lot of the psalms were actually coming out of. Songs were being written out of that incredible presence that was happening in Jerusalem. This tent was there, and it was like people were coming and making offerings. And you know that all those comments where I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Dave, that was David camped out in that tent. He loved the presence of God. He was in the presence of God 24-7. That, that tabernacle was just continual praise unto God. And we see David performing many priestly functions in that place. So David, in a sense, was a type of Melchizedek, all right? A king of Jerusalem and a priest at the same time. And what we look at, if we ever want to know how church is meant to be, I mean, we're in the New Testament now, all right? We believe that we are all kings and priests before the Lord. If you didn't know that, that's, that's what we believe, okay? That we're all kings and we're all priests before the Lord because Jesus has qualified us to come before the Father. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to go through someone or some ritual or something. We can each come before the Lord and meet with the Lord face to face. We can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. Okay, something incredible. And, so, and, and in New Testament church, we, we offer up sacrifices. We're able to bless. like the We could do all the things that priests could do. They were the only ones who were allowed to inquire of the Lord. We can all inquire of the Lord. They were the only ones allowed to bless people. We can bless now. All right, we, can, we, we have the ability to bless our homes, to bless our kids, to bless our neighborhoods, to bless our city. All right, we can speak blessing in, in our place, you know, wherever we are. So we play this priestly role in the New Testament, but I want you to know all of it is post- what Christ did. David is experiencing everything that you and I experience, but he's doing it in the Old Testament, <laughs> which I find absolutely incredible. The guy is living in New Testament realities in Old Testament times. His faith and his heart for God literally laid a hold of the promises of God and brought them into his time. Everything, and this is really what God wanted. I mean, right in the beginning, when you read Exodus chapter 19, what you find is that God said to Moses, you will be a kingdom of priests before me. And the people were like, "Uh, we'll go through Moses. (laughs) And then we see a Levitical priesthood being established. Okay? But God's original intention was that we would all come before the Lord, that we would all Go to God, that we would all inquire of the Lord, that we would all meet with the Lord. I want you to know this morning, there is no obstacle to you meeting with the Lord other than your own faith. There is nothing in your way. There is nothing stopping you from hearing God. There's nothing stopping you from going to God. There's nothing to stop you from having a relationship with God. There is no, everything has been done through Christ so that you can go to God. And the reason why I'm highlighting this is because this is what we see in David's life, is that he goes to God. He inquires of the Lord and he encourages himself in the Lord. And when we look at his life, what we... You know, we mustn't just look at the, the life of David and go, oh, that's just like Old Testament and, and we're New Testament. No, what we see is actually the picture of what a New Testament believer should live like when we look at the life of David. That's actually what it is. It's a picture. The church, the, the thing that happened in Jerusalem with 24-7 praise and worship, hello, people, is exactly what we're building today. 
God spoke through the prophet Amos and said, In the last days I will build up the tabernacle of Moses. No, of David. So what is God doing in the earth? He's rebuilding the tabernacle of David, which is a place where everybody had access. Everybody, there was 24-7 prayer, praise, and worship going unto God. And David enjoyed peace in Jerusalem for 40 years because of that. When we really understand, this is too much. When we really understand how to cultivate a rich in God's presence, a continuousness in God's presence, a soul that is rich in God, that is accessing God, that's going to God, inquiring of God, I want you to know that that will pour out into the world around us and we will enjoy peace, shalom peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. It starts with the prosperity of the soul. So what we see, Jerusalem had the tent of meeting. It had access to God. It had praise. It had prayer. It had worship unto God. And the outflow of that was peace on their borders. It was prosperity in the cities. We look at Solomon and we think, wow, the kingdom prospered under Solomon. Yeah, but David set it all up. David laid it all up. <laughs> all the wealth for the temple, David laid that all up. He, David's the one who brought that all up. Where did that all come in, man? was coming out of the prosperity of a relationship with God. It was coming out, there was, he was the, the first and most, if you want to prosper people, you got to prosper as your soul prospers, the Bible says. You know, if your soul is rich in God, if, there is, if you are accessing God, if you are in God's presence and inquiring of the Lord and able to hear of God, I want you to know that you are wealthy beyond measure. You're wealthy beyond measure. It's only time before your externals start to reflect what's happening on the internal. It starts in here and flows out there. In Jerusalem, we see it. It starts in there and it flowed out into their borders and into their economy and into their society because they were rich in God. They knew how to access God. They knew how to hear God. Man. You know what, I, I've, I've come to the place, people, where I realize, where God said to Abraham, he said, I am your exceedingly great reward. Man, I know I have nothing. Man, the greatest treasure in my life <laughs> is that I have the Lord. You can strip me of everything. Take away every asset, every support, every structure I have. Dump me in a foreign nation where nobody understands me. And I'm telling you now, it's not a, it's gonna just be a matter of time before I begin to prosper. It's just gonna be a matter of time before what's in here starts to change what's there. God is the richness of our lives. And so when we look at the story of David getting attacked like this, I want you to know where does he go to? He goes to where his wealth is. He goes to where the answers are. He goes to his God. He goes to where his provision is. He goes to where he goes to the well, man. <laughs> he goes to the well and he refreshes himself in the Lord and he hears strategy from the Lord and then he outworks his life. That's what your life needs to look like. That's what your life should look like. That's how, that's how we should be in this world, man. Amen? Come on, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Jim LaFoon was preaching a message, I don't know when, it was a little while ago, I was listening to it, and, um, and he, said, he said something, he was pre preaching about the, the vine, you know, Umvini, all right? He was talking about the vine, and Awana uh, Awana, the true vine, Jesus, in John 15. And Jesus, Jesus said this, he said, I am the true vine. Um, whoever abides in me produces much fruit. Okay, so that's it right there. Okay, sold. Amen. Abide, be rich in Jesus, and then fruit. Don't go looking for fruit without doing this. Okay, so this is what we do. Hey, we go for that, not for this, all right, the, the abiding part in the vine, okay, but then he carries on and he says this, he says, I fear in the church that many people come into the church and they don't abide in the vine, but they abide in the branches. You know, in the church, we have healthy branches. There are people amidst us, amongst us who are tapping into the vine, 
There are people who are building that rich, deep relationship with the Lord, and their fruit is amazing. And so we come into the, and we start to abide in branches rather than the vine. It's possible that you can actually do that, that your faith feeds from somebody else's faith, that your revelations are coming from somebody else's revelation. Without ever building your own personal relationship with the Lord. You know, our faith, people, our faith is not a church service or a prayer meeting or a connect group or a Bible study or a whatever. Our faith is not that. Our faith is first and foremost a deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And we mustn't get the two confused. Right? It's possible, you know, that spiritual family is, is, is the context in which we live out a relationship with Jesus. But we must never mistake the context for the object of our faith. <laughs> so just as much as, you know, you never, like when you, you dish up a bowl of food, you never mistake the bowl for the food. <laughs> you know, you, it, it's, there's no point. You, you can't walk around saying, I've got a nice bowl. In other words, I attended this, I do this, I, I, have, all the, I have all this, but I don't have... I don't know if I'm getting the words for this, but I don't have Him. <laughs> but I don't have Him. You know, it's possible... You know, how many of you know in the, in the world we live in, we have like celebrities? And it's funny how we follow these celebrities and like we know everything about them. But if you ever met one of those celebrities, do they know something about you? I, I had this moment. I, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> this really was a moment for me, okay? <laughs> I had this moment. So I'm in the airport, and I enjoy rugby, okay? And, I, and there's a lot of players that I, that I, and this World Cup this year, yeah. come on! I'm just like so pumped, man, I can't wait. Um, and so I enjoy rugby, and there's a couple of players which are like, like my favorites, you know? Like that dude, I dig that dude, and I know how much he weighs, and I know how fast he is, and I, and I know, you know, I know, I know, I know this guy, you know? And, uh, and, I, and I watch them on TV, and I'm like, I'm stoked when he gets the ball. I'm like, come on, give it to him, you know? He's going to trash them, you know? So, sorry, that's, I mean, it's not Bible talk, it's rugby talk, okay? <laughs> all right, it's war, all right? And, and so, anyway, I'm in the airport, and I'm, I've got my luggage, I'm pushing out, and the next thing is, there he is, right in front of me, pushing his trolley. And I was like so excited, I was like, hey! so-and-so, and I put out my hand to greet him, because I know him, <laughs> and he was like, I, <laughs> and I realized in that moment that he didn't know me like I know him, <laughs> Jesus said this, <laughs> Jesus said this, there will be many who say to me, on that, Lord, on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? He's gonna, I, but he's going to say, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. It's possible that you can be about everything that God is about, but never have God. Have that, that relationship, that tightness, that thing with God himself. And I want you to know that Guys, in this church, I pray none of us would be like that. That we wouldn't be abiding in branches and feeding of other things and culture and this meeting and that without having Him. Personal. Okay? So David had that. Um, let's, let's, move, let's just look at this word encouraged. Okay? Let's just move on for a second here. This word encouraged. Where it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. The word there is chazak, chazak, chazak. I think, I don't know, something, chazak, chazak. Hebrew, rah, you know. Chazak, and it means this, it means to strengthen. 
amend, repair, fortify, make resilient, grab a hold of or constrain. So when it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord, it said that David strengthened himself in the Lord. David amended what needed to be amended. He repaired what needed to be repaired. He fortified what needed to be fortified. And he made himself resilient and he grabbed a hold of and constrained himself. How many of you know when you're in situations where, man, it's, it's, it's dark like this, your mind runs away with disaster story. I'm going to end up on the streets. I'm going to do this. They're going to kill me. This is all going to go. Your mind. So they, what we see, David is grabbing hold of himself. You know, sometimes that's what you have to do in the trial. You just have to grab a hold of yourself, man. So this is what we, it's like David is, everything's going wrong. He's grabbing a hold of himself and he's mending himself, strengthening himself in the Lord. He goes to his soul before he goes to the decisions he needs to make. He goes to his soul. He makes sure that his soul is prosperous and right and encouraged. And the atmosphere of his soul is one of faith and trust and hope and belief in God before he goes and makes those decisions. Why is that important? Well, because Proverbs 4 tells us this. It says, above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. From where? From? Where does the wellspring of life flow from? From your heart. This, this scripture is basically telling us, guys, that your life comes out of your heart. Kind of like whatever, you, whatever you're in right now is really a product of what's in your heart. Jesus said this, out of the good treasure of the heart does a good man bring forth good things. All right, so it's like the mouth speaks from the overflow of the, the heart. The, the heart, the soul, the inner world, my mind, my will, my emotions, that whole private part of me. You know, somebody, I think it's Pete Scazzaro, he says we're like icebergs. You know, floating in the water, like 10% is visible, like 90% is under the water. Okay, and we're like that. So that you see, you just see Wayne, but there's a whole world going on in Wayne. Doubts, fears, concerns, everything going on. So all we see is just surface, and we can make the surface look really nice, but it's not long before what's under comes out. <laughs> we can't hide what's in. It eventually comes out in other ways. And it manifests even in decisions that we're making in our subconscious that we don't even know we're making them. It, it manifests in our relationships, and we don't even know we're doing it, but it's coming out of the soul. We're treating people out of, out of what's in here. And sometimes we don't even know it because we just think that's who we are, but we never go and look in there and say, well, what is there, and why is that there, and is that right, and is that good before the Lord, and make sure this thing is healthy and, and everything. And then, you know, we, so, many, so many of us walk through life wondering why life gives us such a hard time and we don't get on with so, certain people. And we think the problem is out there, when the problem's in here, that we need to just take a good look at our own soul. What's going on in there? What are you afraid of? What are you scared of? What is going on? And is God in that place? Is it healthy? David paid attention to his soul. He paid attention. He went there first because he knew that if he went and made decisions in that moment, in an unhealthy space, I don't know what he might have done. I, you know, <laughs> come on, you know what I'm talking about. You make who's made decisions from an unhealthy soul space, you know? You're just not in the right mode, and so you say things you never should have said. <laughs> you do things that you never should do. You, you know, because it's just, it's not right with your soul first. John, uh, 3 John 1 says this. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The word just as in Greek is katos, and it means this, according as, in proportion as, in the degree that. So you will prosper and be in health. Listen, we're talking about health. So many sicknesses today are not physical. They're soul-related. 
So many cancers and skin conditions and everything is really coming out of an unhealthy soul. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's that your soul can actually like affect your physical body. I mean, we, we see this often, you know, like in deliverance and stuff is where the, because of the unhealthiness of the soul, we, we, we see cancers coming and we see various ailments coming. And then when, when there's forgiveness and there's repentance and stuff, people get healed in their physical bodies because the soul is a, what's, what's on the outside is a reflection of what the soul is. So we've got to ask the question, like, where is your soul this morning? Where is it prospering on the inside? Is it trouble? Is it murky waters? Is it stormy? Is it chaotic? What's going on on the inside? Make that right. Get that thing right. Learn how to build a prosperity of soul and watch how your life will change. John Ortberg said the following. He says, you are only able to live in a way that really helps and loves others when your soul feels its worth. We often pay more attention to our work or our bodies or our finances than our souls. And we do, yeah. We pay so much attention to that, but, we're, we, but not to the soul. And, and what we're learning from David is that he, he went for the soul. He went for his inner world. So when, when circumstances happen, I want you to see how this works, right? When, when circumstances come our way, I don't know what it is. Tragedy, loss, stuff happens, okay? Accidents happen, things happen, things, people say stuff. And, and what happens is this, there's this outside climate. And what happens is it impacts us, all right? And we take the outside world and we bring it onto the inside. And so what was outside, the tragedy, the disaster, whatever, is we bring it into our hearts and what's there becomes felt in here. Do you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about? We, and what we're doing is we're living the wrong way around. We, we're living from outside in when we should be living from inside out. We've got to flip this thing. You know, if you want to see turn around in your life, you've got to learn this principle. Is that You've got to learn how to live not from the outside. We walk by faith and not by You've got to start to learn how to walk by faith from the inside out, all right? You will prosper as your soul prospers. And he didn't just encourage himself, like in himself. <laughs> he encouraged himself in, in the Lord. So he wasn't sitting there going, David, you're a champ, man. You can do this thing, bro. You've done this before. You nailed Goliath. You're, you're a man. You, come on. Get yourself together. Be a man. Be strong. You know, he wasn't encouraging himself in himself. It says that he was encouraging himself in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I, I believe that means that he started reminding himself of who God is. Who his God is, what his God has done in his life, who, what all the testimonies that God had brought him through, how loving God is, how mighty God is, how strong God is, how rich God is. I believe in that moment when it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord, basically he began to magnify who God is above his circumstances. He began to lift up who God is and what God is to him above the circumstances. And what do we do in trials? We, we magnify the circumstances to God <laughs> when we should be magnifying God in the circumstances. That's when we see the turnaround. He put his attention on God. I don't know what he did in that moment. Maybe he pulled out Psalm 23 from his notebook. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, he makes me light. He prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Maybe he pulled out Psalm 3, which says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Lord, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But God, I believe that you are my deliverer. That, Lord, you strike all my enemies on the jaw. You break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. You know, may, I don't know what he was pulling out, but he was magnifying who God is in his circumstances. Magnify the Lord, church. Magnify him. Lift up his name. Don't doubt the Lord. This is what we do in circumstances like this, hey? We don't magnify God. We doubt the Lord. 
We're like those men who were serving with David. They get all depressed and they're like, oh, God. When things go wrong, who's the first person we get angry with? Yeah. Nobody raised their hands. Who's the first person we doubt that we mistrust? It's God. Come on, let's be honest, man. It is. We always look at him and go, huh? You know, why, why me, Jesus? Why, what if I am an usher in the church? You know, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, you know? We, we've got to switch from being like those people to being like David, kings and priests, where we realize our role is to, no matter what's going on here, my role is to magnify the Lord and see what's up there come down here. That's, that's the goal of the priesthood is to, is to receive from the Lord, man. It's to it's, it's allow the Lord to come and prosper us so that we can, you know, bring the answers to. That's the role of when When things go wrong, priests are activated, man. They're like, okay, stuff's wrong here. Let's tap into that economy up there. You know, like, let's just, let's just mediate a transaction here, you know, rather than being the doubters and going without us. Amen? Come on. Amen. Don't doubt the Lord. Magnify the Lord. I don't know where you're at and what you're going through right now. I want to challenge you. Go magnify God, man. Go be a priest. Go magnify God. Go, s- yeah, Amen. As we begin to magnify God, we begin to hear God. Why is it that like we hear God in, the, in this sort of environment? Why is it that we like we really tap into, is that you, Lord? <laughs> we hearing you. <laughs> Speak louder. <laughs> you know, why in this environment, I, you know, so often in, the, in an environment of of prayer and praise, I don't know about you, but I just, my mind just starts getting ideas. I just start getting ideas, ideas, ideas. I don't know, they just start coming to me. And what I find is this, is that the more I'm living in a culture of prayer and praise, the more ideas I have, God ideas, you know? You know what I'm talking about. What's going on is that when we begin to magnify the Lord, and when I say magnify, make big, make big of who God is, rather than make big of the circumstances, we create an environment where the voice of God can move and flourish. And we begin to hear the voice of God. And it comes, you know, just a still small voice, comes through ideas, it comes through pictures, it comes through revelation, it comes through different means, but we start to hear God when we start to magnify Him. I want to switch quickly. I want to conclude this message with a testimony from uh, a man called George Muller. Are you still okay? Can you just grab somebody on their shoulder and say, magnify the Lord with me. <laughs> just checking you're still awake, okay? Nobody else allowed to sleep now, right? Okay. So, <clears throat> so David magnif- encouraged himself in the Lord. He made sure his soul was prosperous. He heard from God. He was able to operate, okay? And, and he saw a turnaround. Now, I've been reading just about this guy called George Muller, and I'm like blown away. He lived in the 1800s, um, pastor, uh, preacher. Uh, his life is incredible, okay? But this is, this is what he says, okay? This is what he says. It's going to come up here on AV. He says, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this, okay? This is the most important thing, people. Above all things, See to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. This is one of the fathers of our faith, people speaking to us today. He carries on. He says this. He says, he goes for it, man. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. 
For the first four years, I love this, you know, he's actually German origin, so he's quite precise here. For the first four years of my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I especially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. Now, why is this important? Okay, let me tell you about this man for a moment. Why this is like I want you to know where this advice comes from. Okay, this is not somebody who's just like, oh, I think this is a cool thing, so I'm going to write this. Okay, this guy, all right, lived in Bristol in England in the 1800s, and what we see in this guy's life is basically, I mean, he he was he he was from from a church. He was supporting missionaries around the world, schools, and what he did was he one of the key things he did was start orphanages. He saw all these kids running around on the streets, all these orphan street kids in his day. So he was like, you know what, I'm going to get a house. And I'm going to like start looking after some of these kids. So he like he put it out there. He prayed. Some money came in. So he bought a house and he filled it with some kids. And then he was like, you know what? I th- we need another one because there's lots of kids. So he prayed. Some money came in and he bought another house and he filled it with kids. And then he started working out, oh, this is how it works. So he prayed, got some money in, and he bought another house. And filled it with kids. And then he prayed, and he got some more money, and he bought another house, and he filled it with kids. Eventually, he had houses all over with all these kids that he was looking after. And then, like, people started complaining about the houses. They were overcrowded and stuff. So he said, you know what? Actually, we need to build this big building. We need to build an orphanage that can hold, like, three, 400 kids. So he prayed, and he got 90,000 U.S. dollars in the 1800s which is probably the equivalent of about 9 million U.S. dollars today. Okay, how much rands is that? Like 135, 140 million, 130 million rand. Okay, like we look, sometimes we read those stories and we think, ah, oh, those days, okay? Equivalent to this day. 130-something million rand, right, comes in and he builds this building on seven acres of land where these kids can come, they have got sports fields, there's, I mean, it's just incredible. They're getting looked after, there's everything happening there. And then he's like, I remember what happened with the houses. So he prays, he gets in 136, 138,000 US dollars, and he builds another one. And then he builds another one. And then he builds another one. And then he builds another one. And eventually he's looking after thousands of kids. All right, feeding them, not only that, schools as well. Not only that, supporting missionaries. For, I, and I look at this guy's life, and I'm like, I, I'm like, dude, that is hectic. And it sounds amazing, and all of us are inspired right now. But can I show you just a little picture of his life? Like just one day he wrote down like a little bit of like how he was feeling that day. It's coming up. Look at what he, look at what he wrote. He said, but God... Our infinite rich treasurer remains with us. It is this which gives me peace. So he had peace. Moreover, it pleases him with a work requiring about $264,000 a year. That's a big NGO right there. Would I gladly pass through all these trials of faith with regards to means if he only might be glorified and his church and the world benefited? I have placed myself in the position of having no means at all left. And 2,100 persons, not only daily at the table, but with everything else to be provided for, clothes, food, teachers, etc. And all the funds gone. 189 missionaries to be assisted and nothing whatever left. About 100 schools with 9,000 scholars in them to be entirely supported and no means for them in hand. About four million tracts and tens of thousands of copies of the Holy Scriptures yearly now to be sent out and all the money expended. I commit the whole work to him and he will provide me with what I need in future also, though I know not whence the means are to come. How many of you would like to be in that situation? (laughs) 
Can you imagine 9,000 people looking at you, 2,000 people you're feeding at the table every day, all those books, everything that has to go out? On the... Can you imagine the pressure, the weight, the expectation, the, the, the probability to think when the bank account is empty? Because that's what he's saying there. The bank account's empty. That's what he's really saying there. All right? The probability to think of disaster. I, could, I couldn't even imagine that. He's got some incredible testimony. So every time he's in this place, look at him. He's got peace. He's got confidence. He's got joy that the Lord will do this. Why? Because he's not abiding in a branch. He's abiding in the vine. His soul is well. His soul is prospering. And out of the prosperity of his soul, he is feeding orphans. He's doing mission work, 189 missionaries around the world. All out of the prosperity of his soul. I mean, people, I don't think we understand how much is available to us in heaven when we learn how to unlock heaven in our hearts, how to go before the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Come and stand up. <clears throat> you know, this world so needs men and women who are rich, prospering in their souls. It so needs, man, if you're just thinking your own needs this morning and your own how you're going to get through, I, I want you to know that Heaven is so much bigger than that. I mean, I look at that guy's job, and I'm like, I don't think I want that job. That sounds like a lot of pressure. But he grew into that. He grew into that. That was one testimony leading to the next. That was one circumstance of like, oh, shucks, how do we provide for one house? And he would go to prayer and learn how to access his God, learn how to get hear his God, learn how to learn what God has. Listen, it's incredible when I look at this man's life what God can pour through one man and bless the world with because he understood that the most important thing was to take his soul and make it happy in Jesus. When he wrote those words there, people, and said the most important thing is what? Go make your soul happy. He wasn't talking from like, like some book that he read. That's from his life. That's what he can do. And I want to ask this morning, like, what about you? I believe you called for way more than just supplying your own needs. I believe as a church, we called for way more than just paying our monthly bills here every month. We're called to be a blessing to nations, people. We're called to, to feed the orphans in our city. We're called to, to buy lands and houses and, and take care of, we start clinics. And we, we're called to this, guys. This is, this is our mandate. But it starts when we get rich in the Lord. It starts when we just like really come before the Lord and, and, and say, Lord, help me just to see how wealthy you are. <laughs> Not how unwealthy I am. <laughs> how wealthy you are. Magnifying Him in our souls. Some of you are, are going to do incredible things for God. And I think it's just all waiting on this. I think it's all just waiting on you paying attention to the soul and going to the Lord and, and learning how to hear Him and learning how to wait on Him and learning how to feed on Him and learning how to abide in Him. It's just all waiting on that. Tremendous fruit, I'm prophesying, tremendous fruit is to come if you grab this revelation way beyond your life, way beyond your life. Come on. Yeah, Evie, why don't you put on some music? I have communion up in the front here. And I want us just to, to just have a moment of um, renewing our, our, our hearts before the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you, come, come take some communion. Come take some bread, some wine. And then I'd like you to go back to your seat. And in your own moment, just reconnect with the Lord. Okay, that's probably the most important thing right now. It's just that you just come and bring your soul before Him. Confess what you need to confess. Have a little moment with the Lord right here in the house of God. And then we're going to go out and have tea and coffee. Okay, so come on up.
Come grab some communion elements. And let's just reconnect. tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.